Welcome to Start, Scale, Sustain, a story-driven podcast for nonprofit leaders and entrepreneurs. Last week, we talked about focus and we closed out our section on scaling your business. This week, we're going to focus more on sustaining. I am your producer, Molly Heacock, and I'm here today with co-founder and CEO of Care for AIDS, Justin Miller. Thanks, Molly. I'm really excited to talk about sustaining and we're going to be talking about issues that are still very relevant for us today. We're 10 years old and we're trying to figure out how to be around for the next 50 years. And, uh, and so these are very relevant current topics that we're dealing with. And hopefully our listeners can, uh, glean some value from the things that we're talking about and dealing with every day at care for AIDS. So Justin, as we launch into the sustain portion of this podcast for the next couple of episodes, we're starting off with something that culturally we're told is really difficult. Um, and a lot of people struggle with, and that's self leadership. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what is self leadership and why is it so hard for most people? I think you look around our world and I think you see plenty of examples of how organizations have been derailed by people who have not led themselves well. And the truth is there's not many situations when a a person is removed from a position or an organization collapses because of just purely a bad business decision. It does happen from time to time, but more times than not, we see people that uh, they, things go wrong on the home front and marriages collapse and addictions take hold and People have moral failures in the workplace. And these are, I mean, these are all things that we, we all have to be vigilant against. And in my own journey, I'm happy to say that in 10 years, I've not always gotten this right, but thankfully I've avoided any real catastrophic incidences where my physical health or my relational health have suffered because of the work I do at Care for AIDS. But I also know that I am not exempt from working on this for the rest of my life and Every single day I have to get up and make sure that my, uh, I'm able to kind of live out the intentions that I have in my actions. And that's really, you know, being able to structure your life in such a way and understand yourself enough to know how do you actually convert your intentions and desires into your actions and behaviors. And there's a lot of things that are trying to, to, to undermine that, but we have to figure out how to structure our life and our work in such a way where we can um, really stay in this for the long haul. I mean, we really want to be able to lead for 60, 70 years. And there's a lot of pressures that are causing people to collapse and not to finish the race they started because of this self-leadership issue. So I think it's probably the hardest thing that most leaders deal with is trying to lead themselves. But it is the thing that has to happen first before you can talk about any of the other leadership skills that have to be present for someone to be successful. You have to know how to lead yourself first. I definitely think that, you know, while we're in the sustained portion of the podcast, self-leadership certainly is important in the very beginning when it's just you on staff. But as you grow a team, self-leadership looks different. It feels different. Um, and there are some actionable items that I know that you take to, to lead yourself well so that you can lead the team well. Um, tell us about what is it practically that you do to lead yourself? I think that it starts with knowing yourself. You, we all have blind spots, um, some more than others, but I've heard, I've heard it said before that the average leader has about 2.8 blind spots and 
the, the funny thing is that every person will say, oh, that's not me. Well, that's the point of a blind spot. You, there's things that you don't know that everyone else around you knows. And if you could identify them and name them, then you can actually move them from being a blind spot to just being a weakness that you need to address. So, but knowing yourself goes so much deeper than just what you do well and what you don't do well. This goes to the very core of where do you find your identity? I love when I go to Kenya, one of the things that always stands out to me is you, st- you go to a group gathering, you're in a church, you're in a home and people stand up to introduce themselves and they always use the same format when they talk about um, who they are. The first thing they say is their name. Um, the second thing that it usually follows it when you're in a faith context is they say, you know, my name is Justin Miller. I am saved. I have one wife. That's a, it's an important clarifier in Kenya. I have one wife and I, you know, I have three kids and that's really the, the extent of their introduction. They, they don't, they don't talk about their work. Um, they have put work, I believe in its proper place, but they introduce themselves in such a way that says, this is my name. I identify myself by my faith. I prioritize my family at its proper place of importance. And then there are other things that define me, but they're of much lesser importance than these big issues. And so I think that one of the things you have to do to know yourself is you have to understand the things that are causing you to kind of corrupt the sources of where you draw your identity from, um, understanding the voices in your life, either currently or from the past that are still holding you captive in some way. And in my own life, I, when I think about my past, I've always been such a person that seeks affirmation and I want to be seen as an accomplished person, someone who has made something of themselves. And, you know, there's a lot of things that have influenced that. I grew up with a brother with special needs and I, I look at his life and the things that he's unable to do. And I want to to do even more because I feel like I've been given a gift. And so there's a lot of pressures that I felt to achieve and Carefreight has to succeed. And uh, a failure is a reflection on me and my own worth. And I had to, to really fight through a lot of those lies that were keeping me so captive to this spirit of having to constantly work and taking failure so personally there's just a lot there and we could unpack that for a while. But I think that's one of the first steps in being able to lead yourself well is to understand why is it I do the things that I do and what are the things in my life that are um, shaping uh, the way I view myself. And then it goes even, you know, less, you know, pull up a little bit from that and you get into other things about your strengths and your weaknesses and your biases. I mean, we talk a lot at Carefraids about knowing whether you have a real results bias or a relationship bias. And I have such a strong results bias that I've got to work really hard to compensate for that and try to be more relational and, and do things, write notes and connect with people in a way that I would not if I was just leaning into my results bias. Uh, we also do Strength Finder on our team and it's, it is a scary picture to think about the way that my strengths are wired. Um, you know, I'm a maximizer, achiever, focus, competition. You know, you don't have to know what those mean necessarily, except to know that it's just a guy that has to win at all costs. And 
that can be a very good drive, but it can also be something that can be very toxic as well. And then the last thing I'll say about just knowing yourself is uh, we did a process last year where some of the leaders in care for AIDS took a 360 uh, review and, and this was to help us identify our blind spots, which I assumed were there, but I, I couldn't see them. And, and there were some things that were really um, hard to hear, but they were so important that, that because of my results bias, I wasn't as approachable as I, I thought I was. And so I needed to figure out how to connect better with people. And I tend, people thought that I under communicated to a pretty, you know, large degree. I thought people kind of, I could give them the, the freedom to kind of go and do what they need to do and pull out. But people wanted more information from me. And even some people in my family thought that I I hadn't gotten the the work-life balance exactly right. And when hearing that from people in my family, that they felt like work was sometimes took a higher priority, something that I was, was unacceptable to me and I had to, to make some changes. So I think it's, it's hard to look at yourself with that kind of candor and hold up that mirror and see what the truth is. But until you know yourself, you're not going to be able to do really anything to address those, those areas of your life. So that would be my first encouragement in self-leadership is to, to do whatever it takes um, to do a self evaluation, but also invite other people in to help you understand where you're strong and where you need to grow. Knowing yourself is definitely huge. Um, You always say as a leader, oftentimes you are giving success away. So you're saying, hey, this was a win. This was a team win, but you're taking on failure more personally. And we talked about this a little bit in the first episode, that if your identity is not in the right place, if you find your identity in work, then always giving away success and taking on failure is just going to crush you really quickly. Um, so it's so huge that part about knowing yourself and really knowing where your identity lies will give you the strength and the energy to continue to give away that success and to take on that failure. Um, so I think that's huge. So in addition to knowing yourself, what are some other practical steps that you can take in self-leadership? Well, once you've, you know yourself, then the next part is that you have to, it's not a very good term, but the term is that it's really manage yourself a quote that I love by John Maxwell. He says the best leaders make the most important decisions early in life and spend the rest of their life managing those decisions. And it is important that we do the work every single day of understanding how to maximize our time, how to prioritize our life, how to manage our energy. We talk a lot about time management, but energy management is so important as well. And when I think about this, the thing that I would challenge all leaders is to say that you have to take care of yourself first. You are the most important, um, asset, if you will. There's a book called essentialism and they, there's a chapter in there called protect the asset. You are the thing that is the most vital to your family, to your work. And if you are not doing everything you can to protect yourself and care for yourself, uh, you are ultimately doing a huge disservice to those that are around you. And this has been a challenge for, for me personally, because I want to um, give myself so fully to my family, to my work, but I've got to put up some boundaries in my life to say, I'm going to care for myself and take care of my, my soul, my spiritual health, making sure that I don't um, lose control of that and 
find myself just kind of wondering in this, you know, in this life, um, taking care of myself physically where I'm, I'm fit. I'm able to have the energy to do what I need to do that. I'm emotionally sound and whole and able to, to do things that bring life back into me and take time to, um, get away and retreat and have some solitude, which is really important for me. It's life giving and spending some time in the outdoors and doing things like that. And, uh, and then just really challenging myself mentally as well. And intellectually, I need to be constantly growing or I feel very, um, complacent. And so wanting to continue to challenge my mind. I mean, these are things that are so important for us as leaders. And the only way they're going to get done is if you work really intentionally to, to put them into your calendar and protect them relentlessly. And it's going to be so easy for those to be crowded out. But, um, this, those are the kind of practices that make sure that every day I'm ready to take the, the challenge that's ahead of me. And in addition to just caring for yourself, there are other things that will affect your work if left unattended to the, your family piece that will spill over if you're not making your husband or your wife, the most important thing in your life where you're caring for them, that the stress of that relationship, when it goes bad, that is going to affect your ability to lead your relationship with your kids. You know, you, there are people that can and will do the work that you're doing, uh, in your organization. Um, you are the only person that can parent, um, your children. And, um, that is something that is so important to me. I'm only a dad of a three-year-old, but it's something I've, I've learned in the last few years that I have to prioritize even financially having a grip on that is so important just because it can affect your mental health and your focus. And so I think managing yourself, uh, we have heard the illustration. It's, it's been used many times before, but it, it, this is the oxygen mask theory. This is put your oxygen mask on first before trying to help others. And, you have to do that as a leader. And thankfully there have been seasons where I've, I've gotten this right. And then other times where I have just spent myself fully on behalf of care for AIDS. And I've seen the repercussions of that in my health and my energy and my relationships. And I have been fighting very vigilantly against that the past couple of years. And I feel like I'm in a place now where um, it's much more sustainable for the long term. I love that. Sometimes uh, with a staff, you'll talk about um, these things as accounts, which I love that that imagery of like a an account that you're depositing into for your mental health and your spiritual health and your physical health and your social health and your avocational health. That was huge for me being on the team, being like, oh, I should have hobbies <laughs> because that is healthy. Um, but thinking of those things, not even just as saying, oh, I've got to have them in the back of my head, but thinking of them as accounts that you need to deposit into more than you withdraw out of, just like you would financially. I think that's such a, a great and simple image for people to list that out at the beginning of the year and to constantly be checking the balance of all of your accounts, not just uh, your work account. Yeah, I think it's so true. And I think if you, you know, there are going to be times when you need to have a, you need to have a surplus balance in those accounts because you will have to draw on them. There will be seasons where you have to, um, you know, we've just come through a busy season in care for AIDS and I've 
had to draw a little bit on my <laughs> marriage account. And thankfully it was a place that I think we had built a great surplus uh, there, but it is something that you have to do. But also remember that you can't always think of your life as this, you know, disconnected set of parts either that were very integrated and in, in effect, you know, a drawing overdrawing one of those accounts can also have uh, really de- devastating effects across all of them. So we've got know yourself, we've got manage yourself. Um, what is another practical step that you take to lead yourself? Well, I think you have to continue to grow yourself. I, I don't believe that you can lead effectively, uh, or at least your leadership will begin to plateau, if not diminish, unless you are constantly trying to grow yourself. And there is so much here, and we probably should spend a whole episode just talking about uh, just growth. Um, what does that look like personally and professionally? I, I just like to think of it really in just two big points that I try to think about when I'm focusing on how I need to grow. The first thing is I'm always looking to cro- close critical gaps. I want to identify areas in my life where I feel like maybe I am running a deficit or professionally that I'm just not meeting expectations. And those are the areas obviously you have to attend to uh, immediately. And, uh, and you, you probably can't be trying to close, you know, a dozen of these at one time. I mean, it's probably one or two areas that you really, really have to focus on. And, you know, there was a time in my life where, you know, my, my physical health was that I said, I don't, my body is not producing enough energy to do what my work demands. And so I've got to take a year and I've got to change the way I eat, the way I exercise, the way I sleep. Uh, we can't, I mean, you can't forget sleep, man. We just, we, this whole sleep when you're dead, culture is one that's so devastating and we we need seven plus hours a night and you really can only run a deficit in the sleep account for so long before you pay a really really high price on that um and so you know closing those critical gaps even professionally looking at you know this in order to do my job well i need to be a really good public speaker because i need to be able to cast vision and invite people into the story and so what am I going to do? What am I going to read? Who am I going to be mentored by? Where can I practice this skill? Um, what can I do to close that gap? And, and I'm doing that always personally and professionally. And then when you come to that point, if, if you ever do arrive there where you feel like I don't have any real glaring critical gaps, the next question is just where can I leverage my strengths? I mean, it's you know, there are obviously weaknesses in our lives. Those are those gaps that we have to close. But if we've closed them to a level of proficiency, I think the next step is then how do we take the things that we're already really gifted at and um, naturally inclined to do and how do we make those even better and using some of the same strategies to focus on those areas as well. But I think my personal growth has always been most successful where I've been focusing on one or two key areas at a time. And once I've developed really good habits in that area, it's hopefully something that's going to continue on forever. And I don't have to continue to, to think about it. It just becomes a natural part of the way I do things. So I, in preparation for this, I came across some notes that I took, um, when Bill Hybels was talking one time and he was talking about the, the five things that he thinks are the best way to develop leaders. And I think they apply whether you're trying to grow as a leader or you're trying to practice it in your personal life. But he said that, you know, the first thing is to put the leader in a high challenge job. And I think the point here is that we have to be able to push ourselves beyond what our current capacity is. That's where the real growth happens. Second one is 
assign people to a short-term task force. So that, that makes sense for us organizationally of giving people these stretch assignments that say, let's also kind of push you beyond and see how you do in these new environments. Um, obviously, real-time feedback is so important, whether you're trying to lose weight and you need to step on a scale to get real-time feedback or you're trying to grow professionally and someone can give you that as you're trying to grow. Uh, it's critical. Uh, obviously, coaching and mentoring. You need somebody that's helping hold you accountable for that growth. And that's really what coaching and mentoring is. There are people that are telling you, hey, I've done this before, uh, learn from my example. But there's also coaches who are saying, um, this is what you said that you needed to do. Uh, I'm here to help you make sure that you're accountable to that action. And then the last thing is just the, um, the absorption of, of knowledge. And uh, whether it's through books or seminars or uh, conferences, that there is content out there that you can absorb. But really, that's just the tip of the iceberg for growth because you have to actually... Uh, apply it and practice it to really see uh, the benefit of that. So I think continuing to grow yourself. Um, my dad always said that your capacity to lead is determined by your capacity to grow. And I think that's really central to what CareFrades believes about growth. And it's become a very central part. And if you can, you know, if you can know yourself and that you can manage your, your daily life, you can continue to pursue growth. I think you will find that that is a very good recipe for being able to um, lead yourself well. Justin, this has been awesome. These are such great practical ways to practice self-leadership. Um, to our listeners out there, if you have any specific questions for Justin, or if you want to continue this conversation about how to lead yourself well in all stages of organizational start, scale, and sustain, um, visit justintmiller.com. You can contact him through the website or start the conversation on social media. So we look forward to talking again next week about how to sustain your business. Uh, next week, we're going to talk a little bit about culture. So we look forward to talking to you then.